The red button has been hit, and I think, uh, so we're recording this in mid-December. Uh, I think we're four days from Christmas, but this, I think, will be the first episode of 2024. Oh, wow. Matt Prosser. Well, welcome to the show. Double honorary. <laughs> an honor to be here. And now the first one of 2024. Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. All the things. All the things. Are you going out of town or are you hanging? Um, you know, schedules are a little cattywampus. So we might make a trip up to Mammoth, try to get in the snow. Yeah. Try to get to the beach, maybe go down to San Diego. Um, nothing massive in terms yeah. of travel. Uh, traveling with two little ones, you know, brings another dimension of stress to it but dude um we flying we're flying to maryland with austin first flight his third oh okay. so when he was really little we flew to alaska oh right and that was really easy because he was little enough where just started feeding fell asleep woke up in yeah, alaska right second time went to maryland and um the delta doesn't have direct flights to maryland so you had to do two ascents and two descents just to get there oh. and then back two ascents two descents and yeah. uh didn't like that a little different <laughs> so i'm getting like cold sweats already thinking about those flights yeah it's uh live and learn you know he yeah. pacifiers uh you yeah. know beverages yep food and entertainment for the little ones yeah uh yeah, and then just patience. Yep. <laughs> How old are yours now? Uh, they're seven and nine. Okay. On the back half of seven and nine. So okay. Second and fourth grade, gonna get double digits next year, which is pretty wild. It's uh, man, it's so nuts to see because once you have one of your own, you start realizing how fast everyone else's kids are growing up too. Yeah, like the double digit. You thing. don't notice it until you are a parent. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, this happens really fast. Yeah. The old saying is, you know, the the days take forever and the years go by in a second yeah and that is so true because like all of a sudden my oldest son's nine and in fourth grade and he was just three yeah uh, and like stumbling around the house it's wild but, yeah so <laughs> are they wild. are they are you guys like ski snowboard so we're 50 50 okay so all snowboard with my oldest son who loves to snowboard okay but then my youngest son and mom will ski okay so you know cover all bases. Yeah. I'm not a skier. I, I hated skiing. I tried it once Okay, growing up in like the, you know, early nineties, early mid nineties, I was all about skateboarding. Okay. So the snowboard was a, a natural progression yeah. that I picked up pretty, pretty easily. But then, you know, you step away from it playing, you know, college athletics, uh, volleyball in college and then pro, like I didn't snowboard right for a solid, like 17 years. Oh wow. And then you just try to go back out and do it again. Now that, <laughs> you know, I've got kids. So, um, but I mean, you hear some horror stories about snow sports, like no people kidding. get injured. I mean, yeah. you get seriously injured. Well, I was going to ask if, uh, when you were playing at long beach, were you guys allowed to snowboard or oh, ski no. or was that uh, like strictly, it was strict. Like you don't do anything that you're going to get hurt. Yeah. I mean, you know, voluntarily at least. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, no one went to the snow or if they did, they didn't say anything about yeah. it. And there was no. There's no social media back then, right? So you guys there weren't even not. tempted to blast it out. Yeah, no, I mean, you could you could disappear for a little bit and no yeah. one knew where you were. Yeah. You know, we didn't really have that much kind of free time. Right. Holidays, you know, you get a week or two, but that's it. Yeah. Um, the rest of the time from October, September even through May, the whole year, you're together as a team. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, well, it uh, we were never allowed to ski or snowboard um, during basketball season in high school. Yeah. And then now, now I can see why. Cause when I first started skiing, yeah. I loved going fast. But once you hit this tipping point where you're like, I'm going too fast to break. 
Because if I break, I'm going down. And then you yeah. just pick up speed and pick up speed, and you just hope that it starts to flatten out. Yeah, no, and, and well, you'll do this when you go skiing with Austin, is that yeah. you'll be head on a swivel looking around for everybody else. Because <laughs> right. the little one doesn't know to look behind right. at oncoming traffic and realize that you got to look and see what's coming behind right. you where you're going. Yeah. And my guy almost got smashed on a couple of occasions <laughs> from people coming down the hill. And I was even behind him trying to be a blocker. Yeah. Right. But I'm not, a, you know, an expert skier by any means. You got so. some size to block though. Yeah. Which is helpful. Yeah. Which you're, is helpful. You're what, like six, seven? Mm-hmm. In shoes, I'm six, seven. Okay. I always say I'm six, six, three quarters. Okay. Just round up because it's easier. College listing, um, probably six, nine. I'm pretty sure I was, I might've ventured into the six, eight realm, uh, in a program back in, you know, 98, but yeah. Well, you grew up in Ventura, right? Yeah. So grew up, uh, Southern California, Ventura, you know, just North of LA, uh, has a solid beach community. Um, a lot of surfers. Yeah. And then a very great break out there. There is surfers point Mm -hmm. and then Oxnard silver strand just South of there. Yeah. Um, obviously Ventura County line north of there as well, but, uh, a small beach volleyball community. I mean, that's where I played my first, uh, first couple of beach games and my first beach tournament actually was with my dad. Really? Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. It's a good memory. That's a cool memory. How old were you? Uh, I started playing volleyball when I was 13, so I was probably 14 when I played in that first summer tournament. Were you like, were you an indoor first beach second or beach first? Yeah. And well, yeah, I mean, indoor first. So my dad played volleyball recreationally. Yeah. And growing up, I played all the sports, you know, soccer, basketball. Uh, I even ran track and field through the shot put, did the long jump hurdles. Track and field is super useful because it's the basis of all other sports. Yeah. Well, running, right? right? I mean, I think it, looking back at my childhood, running was super important for like the physical development of your muscles, you know, to your biomechanics. And seeing kids now that are growing really quickly. I mean, I sprouted pretty early on. I was, I was six, four when I was a freshman in high school. Um, it was very important that I ran and my muscles grew with my bones. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, fortunately I did that. So I found volleyball late, but the running was a good foundation for, for being like, you know, coordinated for lack of a better term, but, uh, yeah, played them all, you know? And finally I was just like, dad, like teach me how to play volleyball. Because I was tall and skinny, so right. boxing out was not <laughs> my strong suit in basketball and youth basketball. Um, and I wasn't very—I wasn't a very physical kid either. I wasn't strong, right? I didn't find weights until I was in college. Okay. And so um, I wasn't into the physical contact. So my dad taught me volleyball on a front yard, and I was hooked. And as soon as I was able to sort of focus that energy and aggression on, you know, the ball, but then also have a team, but have the net between us. Mm-hmm. Like that was really like my sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's everyone always asks what, it, you know, are you going to have Austin playing volleyball? I'm like, I just want him to play everything. Right. Cause, and you seem 100%. to have a similar background where I think the more sports you play, every sport lends itself to oh, the other. hundred percent, hundred percent. You've got to play them all. I mean, especially now in a day of just pure specialization in one sport. Yeah that kids do and the access to clubs, club sports at such an early age, it's almost kind of scary, but being a parent of a nine-year-old who's like right on the cusp of joining into that club sport world and trying to keep them out of it yeah, as long as we can is already proving to be challenging. 
But at the same time, it's like, man, you're going to play all the different sports. Yeah. And you pick one. The day will come when you want to pick one because you'll have to focus on one, um, may, potentially. And that's fine. But, like, do all the other ones first. Yeah. So, you know, basketball, soccer, baseball. He even started playing water polo recently, which is fun because awesome. he's a water guy. He's junior lifeguards, you know, surfing, boogie boarding, all the things. Um, but... I mean, I'll pepper with my sons and and we'll get some family volleyball games going on. And yep. it's a lot of fun. And it's just the very beginning. So it's like, you know, people are always like, yeah, are they going to play volleyball? I'm like, yeah, well, if they want to, like yeah. we're not pushing them to volleyball, but if they find it later on, great. You know, they've tried the other stuff and we can go down to the beach and pepper and or pepper out in the street, which I did the other day, <laughs> which <Yeah>. was great. <laughs> That's the only time Delaney's really touched the ball is when Austin's asleep. And we'll just run out to the street and pepper a little bit. Yeah. And she yeah. still got it. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it'll come back, too. Yeah. The itch never goes away. And the the specialization, though, it's tough physically because you're using the same muscles over and over and over again. Yeah. And if you switch from volleyball to basketball, it's different muscles, and those muscles will help the other. And then soccer's different. And then even water. Water polo is a phenomenal full-body workout. Right. I mean, you're doing everything. Plus, you get the cardio. But then the mental side of it, too the burnout, it can happen so fast. So fast. Yeah. It's just year round. So I, I mean, I, I remember being burned out on volleyball, uh, indoor volleyball this yeah. is before I started playing on the beach and focusing on it. But you know, all through high school playing club and high school volleyball, then going straight to college. And for, you know, four years, you're just, you know, you're a student athlete, but you're really an athlete student. Right. And that's all you think of. And then, you know, you try to go play after that. And it's just like, wow. Like, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a big focus and it's a long time and burnout's a real thing. And, you know, nowadays mental health is more important than it was, you know, say 15, 20 years ago, which is great. Um, and you know, sports coaches realize that too. And you do have to take breaks from it because mm -hmm. if you're never taking a break from it, you never get the urge or the yearning to go back to it because you're just constantly doing it. And I fell victim of that for sure when I was playing because I looked at it as this is my job. I've got to do this. I've got to train hard. I've got to get these finishes. And if I don't get these finishes, then I'm going to be depressed. Right. Yeah. And never took time away off from the game or had other focuses to kind of pull me away from it so that then I'd be like, well, I miss volleyball. I need to go back and play some. Yeah. That's so. what I loved talking with Misty about it because she said that she would force herself to take. I think it was four months off mm -hmm. where she didn't touch a ball one time. And it might, maybe it's three months off where she didn't touch a ball. It was just, she got after it in the weight room. Yeah. And then she, by the time season preseason rolled around, she was so itchy and hungry for volleyball Yeah, that her, she would do her practice in the morning and then she'd get back in the, out in the afternoon with her dad Yeah, and they would do more ball control stuff. And she would just do double days throughout the season, mm -hmm. do the tournaments. And then as soon as season was over, like hard stop. Right. And I think there's something to that. I always freak out though, because I think I'm losing my touch. Because when I take a week off, I'm like, oh God, like I'm seeing everyone else get everybody better. Else, I'm like, right. shoot, like yeah. they're catching As up. the competitor in you is like, well, what's everybody else doing? Right. And it's like, well, I got to make sure I'm preparing like everybody else is. Mm -hmm. Well, you are preparing. It's just different. Yeah. Like you're preparing how you need to prepare. And your body will tell you when it's time to go back to it. And when your body's ready, then you'll go. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you force it or do it too soon, then it could actually be negative, more negative than positive. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for the mental reps. 
I think that getting mental reps through film, what me and you do through commentating, yeah. Because not only are are you watching when you're commentating, but then you're explaining what's happening, why it's happening, right. why this person s- succeeded or why they they didn't, yeah. And then I I think I've found that I can take now. I took like two months off of playing, and I just commentated and watched and, and watched film. And then when I came back, the dip was only minimal. Yeah. And I'd credit the mental reps to a lot of that. Yeah. I would agree with you. Um, not on a playing side, but on a coaching side. So doing the broadcasting, which is awesome. And it's kept me involved in volleyball and watching it and speaking about it. Mm -hmm. I've been able to take that to a coaching aspect because obviously I'm not really playing competitively. I'm just playing for fun. Yeah. Um, although six man, we're trying to bring you back in. Yeah. No, <laughs> the trains left the building. The six man days are, are in the history books and, and I like where they are, but, um, but being able to broadcast about volleyball has then allowed me to actually be a better coach. Cause I can explain things better because I've seen it or I can compare and contrast like what's working or why that didn't work or almost even being like, well, this guy did it this way. Let's take it. Let's take a look at that. Yeah. And you know, the broadcasting piece is is so cool to be a part of because when I was younger, I didn't have access to any of this content or this volleyball watching the world tour or watching professional volleyball from Italy or the VNL, you know, I didn't see any of that stuff for a little tiny bit in the beginning. It was like NBC universal, but prior to, you know, 2010, like it was hard to see volleyball outside of the Olympics yeah. or the summer AVP when it was televised, you know, back in the heyday. Yeah. So it's been really fun and rewarding to be involved on the broadcasting side. What'd you do back then when there wasn't really, I mean, film wasn't as abundant as it is today. It had to have been hard. I mean, growing up in Southern California, I'm sure helped and having a dad who played, I'm sure helped as well. But how do you discover volleyball? I mean, (laughs) volleyball magazine, (laughs) volleyball monthly, I think is what it used to be called. There is actually two magazines, I think for a little while, volleyball monthly and volleyball magazine. Um, and I watched side out the movie a lot, (laughs) a lot. Uh, so which was, it's a classic. I mean, you gotta, that's, if you need some new character, you need to bring some people on, you should bring on C Thomas Howell. Yes. That's a uh, great idea. You know, maybe a couple of people from that one, because like, that's a great movie and it's, it was filmed all here in Hermosa. Yeah. Um, and Manhattan, obviously, you know, it's a great, it's a great movie. If you haven't watched it, you should. You should find and it. what people don't realize about that movie is it made a killing because it was a very low budget film yeah, and it became a cult classic immediately Yeah, where you, you get every beach volleyball, every volleyball fan, they watched it. Yeah. And back then you couldn't just stream it for free. No, you bought it. You bought it. You went to watch it. Yep. It made like $21 million. I think I have the DVD somewhere still <laughs> in my garage or my storage unit. You gotta keep, that's a collector's it's item. A, it's valuable for sure. Maybe you get a couple bucks for it. <laughs> Not getting rid of it though. It's, a, it's good. Keep it. Yeah. So no, I mean, there wasn't access to, you know, the video or the content um, like we get now. And, and like I'm, sitting there watching this volleyball from Italy and it's amazing level, right? The, yes. the competition, some of the best players in the world, um, or, you know, doing the beach pro tour from India or the world championships from Rome or, you know, Mexico or wherever. And just this streaming platform now is such a, an amazing, uh, technology that can access so many people like around the globe. Um, like you have to be, you know, grateful to be a part of it because, even though you're not on camera, which is fine. I don't need to be on camera, but like just to be able to be on it and talking about it and watching it, 
is uh, is rewarding and and there's still a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, I'd rather not be on camera. I'm sitting there in my no, pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't need to be on camera. <laughs> well, you've, I mean, when did you want to to do volleyball in college? Did that was that something that you real you started playing, enjoyed it? And you happen to be very good at it, or is it more of a, I want this to be the next step in my career? Playing volleyball or yeah, broadcasting? Playing. So we'll start play, with playing. So playing, I mean, growing up in Ventura uh, in the middle 90s, I graduated high school in 97. So I found volleyball was probably, you know, 93, 94. Um, not a very big volleyball community for boys in Ventura at that time. So, you know, and I was the volleyball nerd for lack of a better word. I had pictures of guys on my wall, Sinjin, Randy, Ricky, like these guys, uh, that I'd cut out from the magazine and put on the wall. Um, I played club volleyball in San Diego at the time. There was no club team. That, That's a drive. So I mean, it's not like I was making the commute every two days. Yeah. I would play on the team during the summer. So I'd take a train from Ventura down to San Diego, practice with the team for two weeks before a tournament and then go to the tournament and play with them. Okay. And so I played with that club team during the summer season for three years, um, you know, 15, 16, uh, 16 17, 18 uh, age groups. We got a gold medal. I was with a really good team in, you know, this was 1997. We were yeah, 18 and unders at the time. This show is brought to you by Bartender in a Box. Yes, guys, we've been looking for an alcohol sponsor for a long time on this show, and now it's time to drink outside the box with Bartender in the Box, our new sponsor and the official margarita and official Mai Tai of the American Volleyball League and AVL on ION Sports. And for those on a volleyball player's budget, we got you. Sandcast and Bartender in a Box invites you and 12 of your friends to enjoy just one box of their premium bar quality libations for around 20 bucks. That's right, 12 premium mixed cocktails out of just one tasty package, whether it's pregame or postgame. We got you covered. Celebrating that beach volleyball victory or styling sunset, or maybe you lost in the quarterfinals like you planned to, so you could drink your Bartender in a Box while everyone else still is playing, burning calories, all that stuff. Bartender in a Box is available in a growing number of flavors, stores, and markets where you shop. But if it's not on display, just ask for it as it sells out quick. The libation experience and price are worth it. So shake your box today. Have a margarita. Have a Mai Tai. Enjoy the show. Are you guys ready for the absolute best advertising copy of any podcast you'll ever hear? Here we go. Because fresh ball fall is upon us and you need to be in the festive spirit. So light a candle, get some pumpkin spice and make sure your balls look nice with the sponsors of today's show, Manscaped. Now, nature may clear the leaves of their trees, but you'll need Manscaped's help to get you ready for that sweater weather. So get your pants puppies prepared for cuffing season with a trim as refreshing as a fall breeze by going to manscaped.com and using code SANDCAST for 20% off plus free shipping. Now, listen, it's a high-risk affair when you're doing some trimming, all right, when you're going below the waist. And you know what? You just need Manscaped. It's going to help you with your confidence. Trust me. It's going to help. Now, it's time for nice flannels and cozy socks, but we can't forget to trim our balls. By now, you've heard of them. 
But it's time to join the 9 million, that's right, 9 million men worldwide using Manscaped and get the kit that covers it all, the Performance Package 4.0. It starts with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with advanced skin-safe technology, thank goodness, that reduces nicks and cuts to make raking the leaves a lot less painful. Plus, the Lawnmower is a technical masterpiece. It has a 7,000 RPM motor, a multifunction on-off switch that can engage a travel lock, and a built-in 4,000K LED spotlight to help you see parts of your body you haven't looked at in years. Now, once you've cleared the driveway, the performance package comes in hot with products to cool you down, the Crop Preserver, Ball Deodorant, and Crop Reviver Ball Spray Toner, one to prevent stink and one to clear it up. With a soothing aloe vera formula, move over pumpkin spice, fresh balls are the smell of the season. The Performance Package 4.0 caps it off with two free gifts. That's right, you get two free gifts. The Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. That's one to hold your Manscaped goodies and one to hold your man goodies. So bring in the fall right and get 20% off and free shipping with the code SANDCAST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with the free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code SANDCAST. As the leaves fall, make sure you have it all with Manscaped. We've got some really fun news for y'all, and that is that Sandcast and Volleyball TV, or VBTV, whatever you want to call it, we are now partnered up. So the Road to Paris series that I record after every Olympic qualifying event or every other, that's now going to start featuring video highlights. Instead of just the still pictures, we're going to have actual video highlights. So it's going to be more like an actual volleyball highlight show. So instead of just still pictures, you're actually going to get to see what's going on on the field of action. And in return... We're going to start promoting Volleyball TV, and you get 20% off your Volleyball TV subscription when you use the code SANDCAST20. Now, this is case-sensitive, so SANDCAST is all caps 20, and that's the numeral 20. So it's SANDCAST, all caps 20, and you will get 20% off your VBTV subscription. Now, a lot of you guys who are listening to the show, you're Beach Volleyball super fans, and I absolutely love that. I love you. I love you for listening. I love you for subscribing to VBTV and watching. So if you already have your subscription, when it comes time to renew, you can use that code, or you, you could honestly cancel and then renew with your 20% off if you wanted to. So again, SANDCAST20, all caps, at Volleyball TV, that'll get you 20% off. So I'm stoked to be partnering with VBTV. It's just been such a sweet thing to have for the sport, to have like all the volleyball you could watch in one spot, or at least all the international volleyball you could watch in one spot. That's indoor, it's Italian league, it's even the Big Ten indoor. You get all of that 20% off with our code. So go and watch your beach volleyball today at Volleyball TV. And again, this was not like boys volleyball is now. Like... Boys volleyball has grown exponentially since I played club volleyball mm -hmm. and there's not, there was not all these different divisions like there is now. Um, so fortunate enough that I was with a great group of guys, a couple other dudes went on to play in college, Stanford, USC, UOP, a couple places like that. And I still see them from time to time yeah. and, and have relationships with them. Um, but it was kind of around that sophomore junior time frame of call of high school that I knew that I was going to be able to play volleyball, you know, out past high school. And because of that exposure of being in club volleyball, I was able to get recruited by a couple of schools and went on a couple of recruiting trips, you know, um, UC Irvine, Long Beach State, Cal State Northridge. Like I wasn't the best student in high school. I was an athlete and competitive, 
but let's just say my my studies were not you know uh we're not going to get me to harvard or pepperdine or stanford or places like yeah, that they right? were good enough they were good enough i did graduate <laughs> so <laughs> took, a, took a, a recruiting trip down to long beach state and was walking the campus and the pyramid there and and the coaching staff and was just like uh, this is this is done deal. Give me the papers. I'll sign them now. And fortunately came in with a really strong recruiting class, um, along with Dave McKenzie, who still plays some beach once in a while. Chris Seifert played beach for a little while as well. I didn't know you played with Seif. Yeah. Uh, he was, so he was my setter for three years. Um, and then, uh, we had a great run, you know, we, uh, in 99, we lost in the NCAA finals, which was, uh, a, a, very difficult pill to swallow. Um, and then the next year as the number one seed in the local tournament, the MPSF tournament, we lost to LMU, which had Reed pretty on the team. And at that time, when you lost that early on, like you were out back when it was only final four, four teams went to the finals Yeah, and <laughs> three automatics, one at large. And if you lost too early, like regardless, like you it. weren't going to get the at large. And so we were out and that was, a uh, Oh, one of the most maddening points of my life due to sports was losing that match. And I'm a pretty patient individual can kind of rein in my emotions for the most part pretty well, but that one was the roughest, one of the roughest. And college isn't exactly the most emotional stable, stable time of no. a young man's life. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, there's a lot of other factors going on there for sure. <laughs> Fortunately, no social media involvement <laughs> or anything like that. But I mean, when you devote that much time to a goal with a group of guys on a team and then you don't achieve it, I mean, it takes a long time to recover from that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was a first team all American. We had two or three first team all Americans on that team. And so was we were favorites to, to win a national championship, which is what you, that's the goal every single year. And when you come up short of your goal like that, uh, early too early, it stings. That's the tough thing about sports is that a lot of times the team who ends up the champion isn't necessarily the best team. It's the hottest team. hundred percent. And that's why I get really nervous when a lot of the beach athletes in particular, put all their eggs in the Olympic basket mm-hmm. where you're trying this thing for four years yeah, and you might just get a shit. You might win pool and get a shit draw. Yeah. Like Phil and Nick. Yeah. Win pool come out. Yeah. Alison and Bruno win pool and they run into each other in the quarterfinals on a windy day when in I'm, Rio. Right. Like, <laughs> and that's a tough, that's a tough battle to fight. And so your gold medal match was in the quarterfinals. Right. And so people look back and say, well, the United States hasn't won a medal since 2012. And you look at it, it's like, well, or since what, 2008 was our last men's right. medal. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a lot of it's luck of the draw, especially in the Olympics. I'd rather put the weight in a world championship or just how many medals have you won in that quad. Right. I think that's a better indicator. But also you have to go into that event and you got to take care of your business. Yeah. And I don't think Phil and Nick took care of their business in pool play where the point ratio hurt them because they either gave up a set. I don't recall if they lost a match in pool play to someone that they should have beat. I think they, they lost a set to Argentina. Yeah. So I think that's, I mean, that's going to hurt the draw for them. And unfortunately it caught up to them. Yeah. Right. 
But that was Tokyo that they lost a set to Argentina. I forget what happened in Rio. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like in 08 when Phil and Todd won gold. Yeah. They lost their opening pool play match. <laughs> to Samoa lost. Right. Now, they're good. Don't get me wrong. But at the time, that was a huge upset. I think it's still considered the biggest upset in Olympic, in Olympic history. history. Because not only had Samoilovs, who was it? Was he with Plavins? It was Plavins, yeah. Samoilovs and Plavins. Yeah. Not only had they not even so much as taken a set off of them, they hadn't come within like six. Right. And then they Phil, Phil cracks me up about that story. <laughs> and Todd does too, because... So Todd doesn't walk at the opening right. ceremonies because they're playing the next morning. Yeah. Phil's like, oh, it's the Olympics. I'm yeah. walking. Yeah. Well, he comes out and Phil says, they hadn't served me one ball. <laughs> Anytime we'd played them, they right. served him every single ball. And he came out and he said his legs were tired from walking around, didn't yeah. sleep well. Yeah. And Todd, of course, is just like, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> That's classic Todd right there. Classic but Todd. But what's funny is that them losing gave them the best draw you could have possibly asked for. They played Georgia in the quarterfinals. Yeah, but those were two Brazilians, Brazilian guys. <laughs> but they weren't... They were playing for Georgia because right. they couldn't cut it in Brazil. Right. So you're playing really Brazil's fives or sixes. Right. And that's yeah. a pretty, pretty good draw. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see what happens in Paris. Very. Um, I mean, the, the competitiveness, the parity of both sides right now on the world tour is pretty wild yeah i mean it's strong and any team can win i mean you're right you whichever team is hot they're the most dangerous um because i mean we've seen that anybody can beat anybody now mm -hmm. especially with czech winning the world championships who were some serious underdogs um versus you know sweden or norway or, or brazil or even us like it's it's anyone's it'll be anyone's medals to win for sure very much so who would you pick is your Paris podium. Let's say the, the brackets work out as they should. So you got the, you know, the one, two, three, four, they're on different sides. Yeah. Only upset. The biggest upset would be like a four versus five. If the five makes it through, who would you take to, to podium? I mean, it, it, unfortunately it's probably going to be pretty vanilla. Like you're going to say Norway, Sweden are going to be up there. The number three, I mean, is a bit of a toss up. It could be Italy. It could be Brazil. Uh, it could be us, you know, Andy and Miles, I think have a great chance if they're, if they're playing strong. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but again, kind of like what you were saying in your last episode is who also who's playing the best defense, right? Because, uh, defense wins championships, right? And if you've got a guy at the net who's blocking really well and a guy behind him is on point defensively, they're going to be really hard to score on. Even with this new system of offense that guys run, you know, with the jump setting and the optioning and all the things, um, I, honestly, I don't know if you can pick just one for a third. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it will. Yeah. I'll, I'll stay Switzerland right now, but, um, there's a bunch of them that could do it. There's four teams that could get third easily, or there's four more teams that could be on the podium. Right. And then amongst those six teams, like anybody can pretty much beat anybody. There's, you know, maybe two or three that are above them just a little bit. Right. Um, but then on the women's side, I mean, again, anybody can beat anybody right i mean canada's right there like when was the last time other than well i guess pavin and and uh melissa were were the world champions um but again brazil you know uh the u.s we've got two teams taryn and Kristen are going to be really hard to beat yes um so i mean could potentially we get three medals four medals uh That'd be something. in paris that would be huge for the sport and like our sport 
not just domestically, but internationally also is just climbing, right? It's a, a an amazing time to see what's happening with the landscape of of volleyball, both indoors and beach volleyball. Indoors, especially the numbers from the indoor NCAA championships were massive. It was 1.9 million yeah, for the viewers, finals, uh-huh, which is amazingly great. Mm-hmm. And then just under 20,000 on site. It was sold out. Uh, it it was sold out for that arena. Like, there. I mean, that's terrific. And the NCAA better start planning ahead of finding bigger venues, right? For the national championship game, because, you know, they plan several years out. So next year it's done. Like, and I believe Long Beach State's getting the men's final four. Okay. Um, either this year or next. I mean, their capacity is like 6,000 people. And does, do the men, does the men's sell out like the women's? No, because, well, last year it was in Virginia, right? Okay. It, I mean, you're not going to sell out and they don't run a concurrent conference like the AVCA does for the yeah. women's, right? So there's a lot of people missing from that already. Um, it would be great if they sold out. I mean, a few years back, you know, they did the final four at Poly Pavilion at UCLA for the men, Long Beach against Hawaii, which has become a real big rivalry. Um, you know, maybe 6,000, 6,500 people were there. You know, Poly holds what, 12,000 maybe? Probably, probably I mean, at, at least I somewhere around there. Big. It's pretty big. I don't know if it'll ever sell out for a men's volleyball match. Um, unfortunately, let's hope so. But, but no, typically they don't sell out for men's championship matches. Yeah. What's interesting is to see the contrast between how the men's and women's indoor stuff does on YouTube. The men's pops off on YouTube, okay. whereas the women's doesn't do quite as well. So like the replay of UCLA versus Long Beach, that final, mm-hmm. which was funny. The first indoor match I ever watched in my life was that championship. I, like, I think I remember is, you being there. This is crazy. Yeah. It's like, what if I've been missing out on yeah, this Yeah, this was like, this is like 2018. It would have been when it was, so it was TJ. Yeah. Tuaniga. Yeah, yeah. Enzing, Kyle right. Amato. Yeah. Then you had Mike Ma, Kofi. Uh-huh. I think Hagen had just graduated. Um, yeah. It Dylan was Emery. the year after. Yeah. I think it was 2018. Okay. That seems right. Yeah. But because that match has a ton of views on YouTube, but it, I don't know if that it will ever get the linear TV numbers. I feel like men's just has a bigger sort of YouTube audience than women. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Hangers on watching, <laughs> watching the replays in their downtime. I mean, that was a great match. You know, uh, I was at that match too. And being an alumni at Long Beach, like obviously you're going to be there. Um, that was the first time that they won, you know, uh, since. 91 and so that was a big deal and they'd been to the final four a couple of times we'd been to the championship game a couple of times yeah um we had had our opportunities but just never were able to capitalize on it um fortunately then they went on to make an, another national championship the next year at the pyramid um with tj and josh and mm-hmm. kyle and those guys have gone on to play professionally in europe and are having great careers with the national team and hopefully they can bring home you know a medal too because the indoor side of, of volleyball going into Paris is going to be very interesting also. Yeah. Who are the big, the big dogs indoors? But I mean, well, is, is, is Russia allowed? Do they, can they compete in team sports? So not right. I mean, Russia has not been competing in any international indoor or beach volleyball. Okay. For the last 
you know what almost two years because in individual sports tennis they're okay and the ioc just approved that russians and belarusians can compete in the olympics but i was talking with denise austin about it and she said that she thinks it's just individuals but not team sports so i didn't know if yeah, i didn't know sure. if you knew anything about russia i don't, about russia I don't the team have side. any insights on that um you know russia the indoor the men's russian team before they invaded ukraine was doing very good things i think in tokyo they were they were right up there um i gotta work on my history clearly well they're but, huge you yeah like no they've got seven footers. yeah no i mean they obviously <laughs> traditionally they've always had a really good team yeah and they've won medals um they've had guys playing very good volleyball as of late and if they are able to play as a team, it's going to offer a very strange dynamic because no one has seen those guys play <laughs> yeah. as a team professionally or, you know, in the VNL or world championships. So it's going to be a big unknown. Uh, I don't I don't think they're going to be able to do it, but I wouldn't bet any money on that. Got it. So you got, um, well, Poland. So Poland is fantastic. Is, Poland is legit right now. They're very, very strong. Um, Brazil is very good. Obviously, the United States is right there. Um, Matt Anderson's still, you know, a top opposite in the Insane. world, which is wild because then he'll go play internationally for his club team and play outside hitter. I think he's the only player that that does that kind of pull double duty in two different positions, um, professionally and then for the national team. It's impressive and still be able to to contribute, right? Because guys are so specialized now. Mm-hmm. But then you'll see TJ do that as well. He'll play outside and then. If something comes up, Sparrow will move into the opposite and he'll, you know, the adjustments pay off sometimes. Right? Yeah. So Poland, U.S., Ger- uh, sorry, not Germany, Brazil, uh, even Slovenia is pretty strong right now. Um, Argentina is right there. You know, I think on the men's side, there's six good teams that could probably contend for medals. Mm-hmm. And that quarterfinal round is going to be massive because there's not going to be any walkovers yeah, once you get out of flip. pool play. Uh, I'm like watching Japan. Japan is They're great fun, too. Man. Super fun. fun. Uh, dude, Yuji Nishida, the lefty opposite who yeah. jumps like 46 oh, inches. It's crazy. It is wild to watch and, him. And uh, I love watching uh, Takahashi. Uh huh. Yeah, Ron. They fly, good. Yeah. dude. <laughs> they all have like 40 inches. They're all really good. And and Japan plays this real precise style of volleyball where they're passing and their defense. You see it a little bit more on the women's side. Um, because it's just a little bit different in terms of the speed of the game, but so precise. And it's funny that Japan's coach is French. Really? Yeah. He's a a French guy that's been coaching them for, I think the last two quads. So they qualified for Paris already, uh, winning that Olympic qualifier, not winning, but being one of the top two teams. Good enough. And so they're in, uh, on the women's side, you know, Turkey, is going to surprise a lot of teams. I think they have some really strong athletes. They've benefited from from some transfers. Uh, Vargas uh, being one of them, who came over from Cuba and did the renationalization. Okay, she's amazingly good. She's like six four, scary athletic. Um, so they're very good. Poland is still really good. Obviously, United States. They're defending gold medalists, um, and Karch has such a a deep training gym to pull his squad from, right? Yeah. Um, that's going to be very interesting to see what happens for the women's side. Brazil's right there, obviously, as well. Um, Italy's going to be in the mix. And, uh, 
Yeah, I'm probably forgetting another European team in there. Japan is good as well. So, I mean, again, all comes down to the quarterfinal matchup, right? So You have such a deep well of knowledge on the whole. You have the whole holistic view of volleyball because you played played in high school, played in college, All-American, played in NCAA final. You played overseas indoors, right? Yeah, briefly for a season. And then you come back, you played professionally on the beach, you've coached. On the beach, and yeah. have you coached on the beach too? No, I haven't. Okay, um, so that's that's the one resume point. That's you're the missing. one thing I got to <laughs> add to the resume for sure. If anyone needs a coach, a rookie coach, because <laughs> I mean, you've coached, you broadcast, yeah. Vol- you just had the whole 360 view. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking about this recently. I just turned 45 last month, and so I was thinking, well, I started playing volleyball when I was 13, so 32 years of my life has been involved in volleyball um, since I began. And so it's, it's fun. I I have taken time away from the sport too. I mean, in 2010, when the AVP went bankrupt, that's when I was playing and fully invested in it. And then it went, it went bottoms up or belly up, whatever you want to call it. Um, I got into some, you know, I did commercial real estate. I tried other careers, you know, still dabbled in volleyball, still played, still coached, but it wasn't the priority, unfortunately. Um, I even tried to start a, a sand volleyball club real early on down in like Southern Orange County. Okay. Um, so maybe I did coach a little bit. Sand. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it just offers kind of, uh, offers experience, you know, I mean, it is time for the Waiakea water break. That is right. This podcast has been brought to you by Waiakea all year long. They are the cleanest water you could ever have. It's not just water. It's Hawaiian volcanic water. That's right. And those bottles you see all over AVP tournaments, all around the beach volleyball world, they're made of ocean plastic, which is 100% post-consumer recycled ocean-bound plastic. Each bottle helps to remove the equivalent of five bottles from ocean-bound beaches, waterways, and cities. So when you're drinking a water bottle, you don't have to feel bad about it. All right? And that's right. Waikea is also committed to giving back. It's local to those in Hawaii through the Kakua Initiative from monthly drives to support the local food bank and nonprofits to direct support of individuals and organizations. In the continental U.S., via partnerships with its ambassadors such as Clay Thompson, ever heard of him, and the Thompson Family Foundation, Aaron Judge, and the All Rise Foundation, and Miles Garrett, and the Water Boys, and more. They're doing all kinds of good things, and we would love to just continue this great relationship we have with YK. They're awesome. And if you want to get the best water in the world, use promo code SANDCAST online at yakea.com. That'll get you 20% off your order. Again, that is SANDCAST at yakea.com to get 20% off your order. We are just so fired up to continue being sponsored by Waikia Hawaiian Volcanic Water. We love our Hawaiian Volcanic Water breaks. All right, so enjoy some Waikia. Get hydrated today. The seasons have changed, y'all. Our summer 2023 season it has come to an end, which means, guess what? Those tattered, beat volleyballs you've been using this entire summer they need replacing. I know mine do. I just put in an order of 15 new Wilsons. The optics balls, the best balls in the world. Hands down, no question. The NCAA uses Wilson for a reason. The AVP uses Wilson for a reason. Everyone uses Wilson for a reason. They make the best balls in the world. And I know it's time to reload. It is tinkering time. This is the time to get better in the offseason. So you come through 2024 fresh 
and with a brand new skill set to get your double A, get your triple A, win your first AVP, get your first main draw, whatever your goals may be, get some new Wilson volleyballs to help get you there. And use our discount code SANDCAST-20 to get you 20% off. That's right, 20% off using the discount code SANDCAST-20. So go to Wilson.com, get some new volleyballs, and get better. This podcast is, of course, brought to you by AG1. Now, if you are a longtime listener of Sandcast, you know that Try and I have been drinking AG1 for years. For me, it's been about five years. For Try, it's been about three since we started our partnership with AG1. Now, when I started drinking AG1 daily, it made the biggest difference. We were on the road. We were in Bulgaria. We were in Russia. We were all over Europe. We didn't know how to get all of our veggies in, so we just went with AG1, supplementing where we could, and I could feel a huge difference. We never got sick despite all the travel. I hit 88,000 miles one year, never got sick. I was more relaxed because I knew that I was getting the foundational nutritional supplement I needed, and that's exactly what AG1 is. It is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, immune support, you name it. Now, since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Now, not only did I replace my multivitamin, I used to take all those cheap little gummies you can get at the grocery store or CVS or wherever. Now, I replaced it with AG1, and I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium and B vitamins for energy, also good for sleep, and it all balances my body's stress levels. Vitamin C keeps me healthy. Zinc keeps me healthy. It's just, it's the greatest thing, and I recommend it all the time because it has a team of doctors, scientists. It's tested for 950 contaminants. It's NSF certified for sport, so we don't have to worry about USADA or WADA or whoever's testing us to make sure that we're eligible. All right, so AG1 is a supplement I trust and try and savvy to promote, to provide rather, the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. I promise. Try AG1 and get a free, that's right, free one year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash sandcast. That's drinkag1.com slash sandcast. You don't spell out one, by the way, it's the numeral. So check it out. Get your greens today. The broadcasting, I can bring my playing, you know, insights into it and along with the coaching insights into the broadcasting. And I can see, you know, the next generation of players, you know, like yourself or the guys that are coming back into it and training and, and, you know, offer up any sort of insights or experiences that they may not have, you know, kind of like seen come at them yet. Uh, and then I'll see guys like, you know, Rosie or Ferbs or, you know, Todd, or these guys that have gone on to coach, you know, or Dane Blanton. I mean, mm -hmm. Dane and I have broadcasted together, but we also played together for a couple of tournaments back in you really? know, 2008. So that was a, a full circle moment when I yeah. got to broadcast with him, uh, you know, at the AVP this last summer. So I think, you know, experience is a huge takeaway from doing all of those things. And, you know, again, it just offers perspective, right? You can, we can relate to what the players are going through in certain moments of a game that now I can share broadcasting, which is where I think I take the biggest value away or take, offer the biggest value yeah. to a viewer. Um, 
but then also allows me to kind of complete the circle at the same time. That's what I enjoy about doing it. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, I always love asking people who went through that bankruptcy period mm. and what was that like? Cause that's when you were peaking. Oh uh, yeah. You, that was, I would consider that the prime of your career as it was, a player for sure. That's cause you were and John Mayer. Yeah. So you guys were, you were playing together so at the time. Maybe? Johnny and I were partners. Uh, and I'll give you the, the brief story. Yeah. Okay. 2010. I had stepped away from coaching at Long Beach State because I wanted to purely focus on AVP. <laughs> I had been playing uh, 2006, 7, 8, you know, kind of ranking was going the right direction, playing with guys. My points, my rankings were going up, good finishes, you know, season of the ninths, you know, here's an occasional seventh, made it to a Sunday, you know, and then, you know, the ninth or 13th or whatever. But that summer, John and I paired up, and John had been playing with like Jeff Nygaard, mm -hmm. and he had won, I believe, already. And I was like, "Yeah, dude, let's do this, right?" And we had been partners on and off. We did a, a World University Championships tournament once and got second or whatever. And John and I knew each other for a long time, played well together. We were a good partner. We complemented one another. So 2010, we're playing in Hermosa, and we were the 13 seed. And we roll through the main draw. We beat Walk Fogel, Billy Strickland. We beat Rosie and uh, Jake uh, in Hermosa, which was There's a some hard wins. thing to do. And, yeah. and I've always said that Hermosa is one of the hardest places to play. I always thought the sand in Hermosa was deeper than the sand in Manhattan. I think 100%. Okay. So, um, and traditionally, I always struggled in Hermosa sand. Being the blocker, running up, I'd start cramping, you know, <laughs> yeah. qualify here and there. Never really had a great finish in Hermosa. We make it to, you know, Sunday morning and we lose to Phil and Todd in the winner's finals, which, you know, into it was kind of close. But, you, you know, like that round with Phil and Todd, if you can't if you can't get them, then, you know, you might not be able to get them at all because they're you're in full speed that they're at like 80 yeah. percent. Right. Anyways, after that, we beat Sean Scott and John Hyden. That's a big win. Then. A huge win for us. And we had battled with those guys a lot. Um, beat them. Then we played Nygaard and Matt Olson in the semis. And to that point, I'd only been in maybe one other semifinal in Chicago. Um, and I grew up with Matt Olson. We were played club volleyball together at, in okay. San Diego. He's freaking good. Really good. And that's when Matt was pretty much at his peak because he had won in 2008. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So we, this group of guys, we were right. We were, we were peaking for sure. So Hermosa, we beat Jeff and Matt, I think in three. And it was just like flood of emotions, right? Because I'm like, oh my gosh, what we just like? We're in the finals of Hermosa. Yeah. My dad was there and I'm like hugging my dad and family and, you know, everybody. It was a huge moment, right? So then we're playing you know, Phil and Todd again, 2010. So they're still, everyone knows them as the gold medalists. And I mean, they, they smoked us. It was not an exciting final. It was two <laughs> sets. It was like 11 and 13. Okay. Like it was not, you know, not good for TV ratings. <laughs> An amazing experience nonetheless. Right. And, and that was my highest finish. Well, I mean, to the point, um, then I believe the following Monday, there was a conference call with AVP leadership that said, uh, we'll be doing one more event in Long Beach and then the season's going to be done. And we do not have the funding 
uh, to fulfill the rest of the season. We'll be shutting the doors and the tour will be over. And That's it was a just brutal like, call to get. It was so rough. I was just like, wait a minute. Like I was just in the finals in Hermosa. I've devoted and invested all this time in doing this. And now you're telling me in two weeks, it's going to be gone. And so that was a lot to handle. So the next event was down in Long Beach and everybody knew it was the last one. Uh, I think John and I got a ninth or seventh or something like that. And then all of a sudden it was like late July and the season's over yeah. with nothing on the horizon. Oh. So everyone's just like deer in headlights scared and has no idea what's happening, right? Or what to do now. The international guys that played internationally, like they were fine. They could go play on the FIVB tour. But the guys that were just domestic, like we didn't have anything. And so then you kind of go into like panic mode a little bit. Like, what <laughs> yeah. am I going to do now? You know, I just wanted to play volleyball. So it was tough. I mean, it was, uh, it was a lot of question marks for a while. Were there any warning signs that that was going to happen? Like when we look at this generation of players, when the announcement came out that the schedule was probably going to be significantly lighter than when Ballers was fully in charge, we were like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of saw that one coming. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, looking back at it, there was no warning signs. I mean, I think leadership obviously wasn't wasn't going to send those signals out to the players, right? Because um, then it would just cause probably some panic right. and probably, you know, a lot of other issues that no one wanted to deal with. Um, so there was no early warning detection or <laughs> science coming in on that stuff. That's brutal. So it was rough and it took a while for anything to come along. Like the Manhattan open that year was run by the city of Manhattan beach yeah. and they did it old school, big court, no bleachers, none of that stuff. Um, and it was an amazing experience. Great vibe. Like everyone had fun doing it. It was side out scoring games to 15, big court, you know, still had referees. There was, you know, people didn't like, some people didn't like that they were doing that and they made their opinions, you know, out loud, which I didn't agree with because it was a place to play volleyball and the rest of the players needed to have a place to play volleyball. And if the top players that were not on board with the rules didn't want to play, then so be it. Like, that's your choice. You're fine. You can go play internationally and you'll be okay. Mm -hmm. For the rest of us, like, we wanted to play and it was great. Um, so it was a lot of question marks, you know, that year, Manhattan beach. Then there was like the King of the beach tour, uh, had like the U S open of beach volleyball that same season in Manhattan yeah. beach. Um, then, you know, the next year it was like the Corona light tour had a few more events Then Jose Cuervo came in and USA volleyball kind of resurrected it, which was great. And then I think it was 2000 and, uh, 12 perhaps that the first, like there was an AVP champions event down in Huntington where I partnered with Matt Olson and it was just like a, it was a four team, you know, it was a legit tournament, but it was not a full field. It was an exhibition. Um, Matt Olson and I actually won that one and beat, uh, Hayden and Sean Scott in the finals. So, which was, you know, I mean, you guys beaten that team twice. That's <laughs> they were they were fun of, and we have mutual respect for those guys. <clears throat> yeah. uh, we trained with them a lot. John Mayer and I did, and obviously would watch how they trained because they were had been around. They'd mm -hmm. won a lot too, and so whenever you did get one off them, it was like, it's a good yeah, one. That's a good one. To, you know, 
he used that one for some fuel in the back, you know, pocket. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, and then fortunately, Donald's son ended up coming in. What was that like? Twenty thirteen, maybe fourteen. His first year was twenty. He ran two events in twenty twelve. Yeah, and then I think it was maybe four, six, seven, eight, 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 eight. Yeah, um, that sort of period, I kind of stepped away from volleyball. I played a little bit, but I was. Uh, newly married, you know, had a young child at home and, and was kind of getting into, you know, a career that was perhaps a little more stable, uh, <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, uh, income yeah. than, than the volleyball lifestyle and, and competing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I still missed volleyball. I played in a couple of qualifiers in Manhattan. I would work in the morning and actually came down to the beach for the qualifier. And awesome, uh, you know, so it's things like that because you love the sport. So you, you know, it's hard to just not be involved in it, right? Um, so yeah, I came across a fun uh, little anecdote that our match in Austin, yeah. the third round of the qualifier. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the longest recorded match of my career. <laughs> An hour 20 in middle of Austin. I remember, Heat. yeah. Holy cow. I remember that one. Um, that was a fun one, man. And I know that you touched Eric's attack for match point. I was in the net. You were in the didn't net. didn't touch his attack, oh, but you were I, in the I net. was in the net. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't see it and didn't argue it probably because i was freaking exhausted yeah it was <laughs> that was a long one and then because i was cramping at the end of that i was like we have another one we had to turn oh, around like right. 10 minutes to play dantler and dylan merrick it's like oh yeah. man <laughs> but you guys did you get it did you win it yeah that was my first main yeah that's right yeah. you and rafi me and rafi yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's also where i met delaney so you're winning. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, uh, you're welcome. Yeah. If you hadn't won that match, who knows what would have Yeah. Would have met Delaney cause she was off playing right. with Avery I've Bush. I've won matches and, even when I'd hit the net on match point. So, you know, it's full circle. Yeah, once some, again. Sometimes it's, it's good karmic justice when you own up to the net and sometimes it works out that you don't. But never at match point. <laughs> never on match and point. And this was before the challenge system. Yeah. Which is one thing that I wish the pro beach tour would do the challenge system with the cameras Yeah. on the beach. Um, and I think they need to do it like they do indoors. It would be um, super helpful. The problem is, I, from what I understand, it's pretty cost prohibitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, logistically, to have whatever it is indoors, they have like 16 cameras around the court. But even if it's just on the sidelines, mm-hmm. right? And there's a way to slow motion the ball making contact with the line, even if the mark is outside the line. Because I, I like that they can challenge finally and the official will come down. Finally, because there was a long time when the officials just like wouldn't even wouldn't even entertain it. And that's got to be just maddening as a competitor. The 2012 Olympics, it's still. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for sure. Like that. <laughs> Come might down not, and look yeah. at it. And they just wouldn't do it. <laughs> I know. And there's so much technology now in sports in general. And volleyball is catching up. I still think there's there's room to improve on on like data and analytics, like in-game data. Mm-hmm. But the in-out calls and the slow motion cameras and the hot guy or whatever system it is that can show the replay, uh, you got to get the call right, especially for a gold medal or, you know, massively important moments. Yeah. I love that they had it for world championships. Yeah. On on center court. Only on one court. Only on one court. Right. Which, I I mean, advantage, disadvantage, whatever. Because I still think, I'm, I'm still so curious and we'll never know. What would have happened in Kelly and Sarah's first match of playoffs against the Clingers? It was tight in the third set. Yeah. Like a 7-7. And Dory rips his swing. I was standing right next to it. 
huge touch on Kelly. Yeah. And ref doesn't see it because it was on the other, the ref was on the other side. Mm -hmm. Ref doesn't see or hear it. Dory's arguing for it, looking to Kelly. It's not the player's job to call. It's kind of like, no, 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 no touch. Right. You know? Yeah. And the clingers sort of fall apart after that. I think it was maybe a 5-1, 6-1 run. Yeah. And Kelly and Sarah going to win. But because it was one of the, it was a hinge point where the match had a clear change of direction totally. after that. And I'm so curious what would have happened if they had the challenge system, <laughs> see Kelly's fingers go back. We'll never know. Yeah. I mean, I think in the big events, like a world championships or an Olympics, I think you got to do it. Yeah. And you have the time and you can do the preparation to set it up right for a challenge event or even an elite 16 outside of stadium court, like to have all those cameras and all the technology and all the computers and all the cameras and everything. I don't know if it's ever going to make sense for beach volleyball. Yeah. Unfortunately, because uh, it's just too much stuff. Yeah. Um, I've seen the Hawkeye system at indoor volleyball. They have four people running it for one court, four people, four technicians, and literally pallets of computers and wiring <laughs> yeah. that all comes into like this this massive nerve center, and then they are able to work out all the data and everything. Yeah, and indoor you can leave, you can probably just leave the cameras. Oh yeah, so you don't need to. It's not a new setup every time. But beach, no. I mean, there's so much buildup and breakdown. That's what I mean. Going from event to event, yeah. like there's, I just don't think it's plausible. Yeah. But in those one offs, like the World Championships or the Olympics. You gotta make it happen. Yeah, I wonder if like because uh, they have the elite at Roland Garros, mm. which in tennis they have it. Yeah, I wonder if they have to take it down or move it because it would make because if it's already there, you'd think that you could use it. But I don't know if Hard there is a big cost if it's of just built, turning it off. I mean, if it's built into the stadium, that's one thing. <laughs> right. I wouldn't imagine that the cameras are built into the stadium. Yeah, but. I don't know. Guess it'd, we'll have to it'd find be nice out. to see. I'm sure Emmanuel and Alison would have loved to have had to. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's one that they need it for. Yeah, breaking recommend just taking it and running, running off the court. <laughs> Surprised <laughs> they didn't run over and like cover up the mark, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Now you saw it in the world, in not the world championships, but the NCAA finals for the women, Texas and Nebraska. Yeah, you know, match point. If it doesn't go your way, there's going to be a challenge automatically, and that's just what coaches do now. Like it's a hope and a prayer, but you kind of have to do it because if you don't use the challenge and say the player hit the net, well, you could still be playing. Right. And so it's a little like anticlimactic to see a challenge come out at match point, but you, you got to get it right. Right. And if you don't use your challenge, it's like, well, what if? Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Why not? Right. Just pull out the green card. Yeah. What blew, what blows my mind is when people get a challenge wrong. Texas against who'd they play in the semis? Was it Wisconsin? Texas played Wisconsin in the semifinals, yeah. On match point, Wisconsin had a blocker uh, have her braid hit the net. Which is not an which infraction. Is not an infraction. Right. And Kelly challenges it, as he should. Yeah. And they got it wrong. That blew my mind. And Holly McPeak was on the mic and she couldn't believe it. Right. She didn't understand what <laughs> How the rest and I was like, well, I don't know. It's like an eight point match. Maybe they're just ready for it to be done. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it was inexplicable. So unfortunately, I think on in that situation for the officials, I mean, you don't want to be pinpointed as like, well, you missed that call, right? And I think they had missed a couple early on in that match too, because you saw some flaws in the challenge system during the women's final four, where there were some issues going back and forth. Yeah, and unfortunately. Like the coach doesn't want to use a challenge when the coach is correct. 
yeah. because then it's like, well, you missed the call official. And how could you miss that call? Mm-hmm. It looks bad on the official for getting the, the challenge overruled. Right. But then at the same time, it's like, well, why are you even here if we can just challenge everything and get it correct? Yeah. So like internationally in, in Italy, which, you know, VBTV broadcasts all the Italian men's and women's matches, they don't use line judges on the corners. There's just R1 and R2. And then there's the video check referee. And so if if the ball is in or out, the players either see it or they challenge it. They instantly challenge it and they go to the video check system and it takes 15 seconds tops. Mm-hmm. It's pretty quick and they get the call right and they move on. And the same goes for a touch off the block. And like they just eliminate the line judge either missing a call or not missing a call or being the person that they don't really need anymore. And I feel bad for the line judges because they want to be involved as well. But right. the best thing about an official is that you're not involved. Yeah. You're not, you know, creating a dramatic moment because you've got a call right or wrong. And now you're going to the challenge system to get it corrected. So the best refs are the ones you don't notice. Exactly. Yeah, totally. And in Italy without the line judges, it's great. I actually prefer it. Um, but you have to have a legitimate, great video check or challenge system set up. And Italy has that right now going into next year for women's volleyball in college specifically, they're going to have to find a system that can do that because whatever system they're using right now, you can tell that there's a, there's a a breakdown. Yeah. The thing is, there's just so many different conferences. There's so many different budgets. There's so many different officiating crews, you know, it's just logistically going to be challenging again. Yeah. And what I love about the, the effectiveness of the replay system in the Italian league is that it is so good. And the players know it's so good that there's no point in lying about a call. Right. And the game moves faster. Right. Because yeah, if you touched it, you're going to get caught, right. Own up to it, you know, get exactly. your green card. Whatever and you I get. think that's and, a, I think that's a great aspect of the sport as well. Cause it does show sportsmanship. Right. Right. And if, you know, now depending on the moment of the match as well, because if it's two to two, in set number two and someone touches it and they missed it, then he calls the touch like you just said, and they don't need to go waste the time. He admits to it. Now, if it's 14 all in set number five, like you're going to make sure that the video challenge sees that you touched it. You're not going to admit it. Right. And that's just sport. Like that's competitive nature. That's aggressiveness. That's gamesmanship Mm -hmm. and sportsmanship also. But I do think that brings in another factor that we could probably benefit from domestically for sure. Yeah. Well, you, so you got into commercial real estate, you did a couple different things and your, your broadcast journalism degree, <laughs> it, it sat on the shelf for a minute. Did you do any commentating or any journalism stuff until you started picking up commentating with the AVP and volleyball TV? So technically, yes. Is if you rewind the clocks back to like 96, 97 All in right. high school, I was the sports anchor for the Buena High School, uh, weekly television show that was shown on local cable. Um, and so, yes, I did use it. Um, I've kind of always had maybe this little seed in me that, you know, I do enjoy, you know, talking about sports or, mm-hmm. or, or being present in a moment of during sports to broadcast it. Um, after I was done playing overseas professionally, I came back to school to finish my degree. And the fastest way to get through it was to get a broadcast journalism degree. Through my training and education of broadcast journalism, I didn't do a single thing on camera, I didn't, <laughs> which was crazy. It was a lot of print journalism. It was a lot of, you know, huh. uh, 
writing and formatting and all the things. This was before streaming, you know, stuff before YouTube. This was like 2006, okay. 2007. Um, not a single broadcast thing I did <laughs> during my degree, which <laughs> during your broadcast is a little contradictory, but I mean, <laughs> it was a focus. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I just called up Long Beach State when uh, I was like, can I come back and do some color commentary for the men's volleyball team? You got a great play-by-play guy. I watch it all the time. Super grateful that you guys even broadcast matches because it's, you know, awesome. But let me bring some let me bring some technical aspect from my playing experiences and my coaching experiences yeah. to the broadcast. And so that was, I think I started that in 2020. Okay. And it was it obviously COVID hit and it was an abbreviated season. And uh, I've done that now for three years. And fortunately, through connections, Dustin Watton being the man that connected me with volleyball TV. Okay. Uh, he just called me up and was like, I know you're doing Long Beach State. Would you like to try to do some Italian stuff overseas? And I'm just like, like drooling. I was like, of course I would. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Like yeah. Italian volleyball broadcasting it from home remotely, like 100%. And so I've got Dustin Watton to thank a lot for connecting me to volleyball TV and Clayton uh, specifically. And the rest of it's just kind of in history yeah. uh, for the last couple of years, whether it's VBTV, Beach, VNL. I went to the world championships for men's volleyball two summers ago now, which was an amazing experience. And that Was was that one in Poland? It was in Poland. Cool. Yeah. The finals were in Poland. It was uh, Poland against uh, Brazil. No, not Brazil. The finals were, oh gosh, I'm blanking now, but Poland crushed them. Uh, no, Italy, excuse me. It was Italy <laughs> against Poland okay. in Poland and Italy won. Okay. Because Poland had gone five with Brazil in the semis the night before. Okay. And Italy went three with Slovenia. And Italy uh, rolled them in the finals. Just an amazing experience. Volleyball, indoor volleyball internationally in different countries is a whole nother world. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about a sellout crowd, first of all. But they're singing, they're chanting, they're waving flags, they're their, blowing their horns. Their fans are so fun. So much fun. And... Is just like wow, this is am-. and every single person in the stand sings the national anthem. Uh, it was just a real, a real treat to be involved with. Um, and then the AVP has been a great broadcast uh, outlet for me too. To when, be when did you start with them? So two summers ago, I stepped in for I believe Cameron, and it was me, Dane, and Rich. Okay, in Manhattan because Cameron had a conflict, I think. And then fortunately, last summer I was able to do all the events. Uh, which is fun because full circle again, like growing up watching the AVP Marlowe and Sunderland, yeah. right. And all the things and then playing and then being able to come back and talk about it. Um, you know, especially Hermosa, Manhattan, the big ones, uh, Chicago, all those things. So I, I, I do enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I'm able to, to balance it all, which yeah. is cool. And it's so fun to do it in person. So the much difference fun. of an in-person and remote is so the, the convenience of remote <laughs> cannot be overstated right but being there being able to talk to the players yeah feeling the energy and the emotion and there's just something about being in person that you cannot help but be you you just you 10x pick a up, commentator yeah you pick up so many things in person that you just can't see yeah. remotely watching a screen right 
the crowd being one of them, but the smaller nuances between the players on the same side or even through the net, you know, to one another, because they yeah. all know each other. Yeah. Right. Or, or seeing what the coach is doing, what he's looking at um, he or she's looking at during, you know, in between plays. Uh, there's just so much more to see. Right. And so much more sensory to take in that then you can uh, relay through the broadcast. Yeah. And yeah, it's challenging to do it just in front of a TV, in front of a, a monitor by yourself, you know, and a microphone. But the platform itself is so it's incredible. terrific to be able to even do that. Yeah. Um, that that brings out its own sort of excitement. Yeah. So you, you yeah. got to commentate my shellacking against Marty and Raffi in Manhattan. Oh, that was brutal. That one was fun. Marty was good that match. <laughs> Dude, Marty. Rafi brings it up to me every time oh I see him God. too. And Marty uh, went off. At eleven blocks that match, yeah, I think. Rafi didn't do anything. He did he really didn't do and anything. And he admits it. He's like, Dude, yeah. Partner selection. It's key. <laughs> and Marty, I mean, Marty's capable of doing that. Marty's not a guy that you see very much. I mean, he's still he's so super good. athletic. Yeah. And long. And he's been doing that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And that was just one of those moments where he was in uh, the stage that he was able to do it. And it was a great time for him to do it. 11 yeah. blocks in that match was unfortunately he, for you he, and Jake. He's got great handwork. Yeah. And Marty jumps really high, but he does. An underrated skill is he jumps fast. Right. Chase Budinger jumps faster than anyone yeah. I've seen, but Marty, his load, he just pop, pop. Yeah. And because you see a lot of guys, I go all the way down. I'm a pretty slow jumper, but Marty just has this quarter load and then right. And his and hands not are right being, there. And Marty being what, like 6'5? Yeah. He's probably a hair taller than me. Um, you don't, you lose sight of him too because yeah. he's not 6'8, mm -hmm. right? And he can kind of sneak over. I remember Mike Lambert would do this thing where he'd step way down, take a step over, and then go back and move. And he would surprise you. Yeah. And that's what those smaller blockers can do. Um, but yeah, Marty's been doing that for a long time. Yeah. You might you might get another chance at him, hopefully. Hopefully. And, and I, uh, I love Marty. It's funny because I ran into him. We got in the ocean together after. And uh, he's like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to play a tournament after this. But that's a hell of a way to go out. <laughs> yeah. And that's important, too. I mean, you got to be content with your performance yeah. if you're going to consider walking away and not you know, competing yeah. in a tournament, uh, after that. Um, how was that for you? For me, it was, it was, um, it was a big moment like in my life and just like in my being. Right. So it was uh 2018 Manhattan open and I played with Eric Baranek in the qualifier. I hadn't played in a couple of years. Um, so I didn't have a lot of points, and I was a year out of chemotherapy. So Eric and I had played together the year before, played in Hermosa and Manhattan in the qualifier. And, you know, Eric's a great dude. He called me up and was like, hey, I want to play with you. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to be able to give you. Yeah. You know, I'm just going through this stuff. I'm getting done with it, but I don't know what I'm you know going to be able to do. And so Hermosa and Manhattan in 17 were experiments, right? But then in 18 was able to have a full year in recovery from chemo that we came back out when it was, was when we played you guys in Austin. And then I was going to play more, but work got in the way. A couple other things came up. Um, and then we played, we played Manhattan and we made it through, like, we'll just skip ahead. Right. We played four matches in the qualifier. Uh, had Beat to go some good teams. 
Beat Lottie and Derek Olson. Yeah, so Paul Lottman and Derek, obviously, that was a special win for me because uh, I coached Paul Lottman at Long Beach State. <laughs> and I remind him every time I see him almost that, you know, I'm 2-0 and against him on the beach. <laughs> and he'll never get a win over me because I'm done playing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and Derek Olson and I played against each other a lot. Um, yeah. Kind of, you know, through the Cuervo time frame and the, and the Corona Light Wide Opens. And Derek's a great dude also that's doing great things up at uh, Washington with the women's volleyball program up there. Um, so that was a huge win for us. And then we had to win four. Like we were seated so low that we played four matches that day. And we were actually the last the last match to finish. Uh, Matt McCarthy, I think is his name. And another guy. Dan Beering. Uh, Beering, yeah, from Chicago. So we, we were fortunate enough to beat them. Uh, in the fourth match on the qualifier in Manhattan Open and another just outpouring of emotion for me because, um, you know, being a, an athlete and focusing on your body so much when you get told that, you know, you have cancer and you got to do chemotherapy, like that's just a huge uh, bomb being dropped on you and you don't know what to expect, right? Um, so going through that chapter and that challenge and adversity to come back and be able to still compete to a level where we qualified. Um, that was a hugely important moment for me and my family, my friends for Eric. I mean, we've talked about it before too. And, and just a, a really pleasure to be a part of, um, I played the next day <laughs> if you want to call it playing. Uh, but we got completely just demolished. We played, um, Theo and I think it was John Hyden. In the first okay. round, and they smashed us. I mean, we had no business. I had blisters on my feet that were some of the worst I'd ever had in my life because my feet weren't conditioned because I hadn't right. been playing full time. Um, but then also my legs were just done. I mean, yeah. uh, and then we lost to we lost to Duncan Buttinger, who I also coached him and Daniel uh, and Daniel. Yeah, they are freaking good then. Yeah, and and it. I mean, look, we didn't have any expectations in the main draw. We were just happy to be there. You know. Um, to me, I, I proved to myself that I could go through what I had gone through and still and still play at a place where I was happy with my performance against guys that were playing a lot more than me. Yeah, and uh, I'll always be grateful for that. Um, so that was that was my last professional tournament. It, it will be my last professional tournament. Everyone's like, "Come play in a qualifier, play in a qualifier." I'm like, "No, <laughs> thanks. I'm good. Like, I'm all right. Yeah. I don't need to do that." Because um, people hit me up every year. It's like, "You want to play in the qualifier?" I'm like, "No." I'm good. I'm good right now. I don't have that. I don't have that itch uh, yeah. to uh, go back out there for a match or two and and play against guys you know that train six days a week. Yeah, four, five, six days a week. Uh, that same summer, won the Calcutta, Hermosa, the Labor Day, Hermosa Calcutta. That's that's, that's bigger than winning Hermosa, and so that's a big win. That's a big uh, that's victory. A big uh, walked away with a nice chunk of cash in my pocket, which yeah. was pretty sweet, and played really good volleyball, and I was proud about how I played. So. Those two wins for me were a really good way to to kind of be able to to close that chapter of highly competitive volleyball um, through what I had gone through and what I'd gone through with my family and everything with cancer and my kids to see that I could play um, and kind of continue forward. Ed so. Chan got such a good picture of you hugging the boys. Yeah. After you qualified. Yeah. And I, I still think that's one of the coolest pictures because you can see like. You had won some really. You'd been at the top of the AVP, yeah. And then to see what it meant 
to qualify. Yeah. After going what through what you went through, it yeah. was it's super cool to see stuff like that. Yeah, and also, I mean, you got to start somewhere too, right? I mean, I remember qualifying for this first time. The first time I ever qualified was in Manhattan, way back when it was a '64 team main draw, yeah. and it was way easier to qualify. Huge. So to do it again, you know, as kind of like the final event, like full circle, like kind of keep going back to, you know, going full circle. And that was a super special moment for, for me and, and yeah, and, and my boys as a dad and as a competitor, as an athlete, as a volleyball player, Mm -hmm. right. To be able to say that I did that and go through the adversity of cancer and, and, and chemotherapy and, and everything that is involved in that physically, psychologically, to be able to come back and do it is, is something that I'm going to hold, you know, forever. Yeah. And you had stage two testicular stage two testicular cancer. Yeah. Okay. How, how long was the recovery process for that? So in my case, still an ongoing, no, I'm five years out now. So it's, uh, medically, I'm, I'm medically cleared, which is great. Um, I did three rounds of, of chemotherapy over a nine week period okay. of, of infusion of, of chemicals, right. That attack the cancer cells, lost my hair, did all this, all the stuff, dropped a bunch of weight. Um, fortunately I had, I feel like I had a pretty good base that I was strong enough to go through it because, yeah. and everyone's a little bit different on how they respond to chemo. It can be really, really hard. And it is really, really hard for, for a lot of people. Um, I'm fortunate enough that it felt like a really bad hangover for me at, at worst. Um, nonetheless, it was still very scary to go into. Yeah. Um, after the nine weeks, I mean, I think I played in the Hermosa AVP. I still had a port in my chest, which was where the medication got yeah. infused. And so that was July, June ish. And I had finished up chemotherapy in, uh, in April. Jeez, quick turnaround. April or May. It was May. So it was a quick turnaround, and that's what I told Eric. I mean, I still didn't have hair when I played in the Hermosa AVP that year. And that's why I, why I told Eric. I was like, I don't know what you're going to get from me. He's right. like, I don't care. I just want to play with you. And he turned 21 that weekend, too. <laughs> and so here's this just super hungry kid, super athletic, <laughs> yeah. you know. And we've been friends ever since. Um, the rest of the recovery physically was a good probably nine months. Jeez. of working through all the all the chemicals in the system, yeah. hair growing back. When your hair grows back after chemotherapy, it's not just the same hair that you had before. My hair was wavy, it was curly, it was red, it was it was weird. Really? <laughs> and then it, you, I didn't know it, that it, happened. Yeah, you got to fully cycle through huh. like all the medication and you see it um uh psychologically it it has been a much more difficult challenge to kind of get back to where I was pre cancer, um, after, you know, or, or continuing post. Right. And so that's been, that's been an ongoing thing and it's, it's taken time for sure. Um, those victories, you know, those small victories on the beach are, are a big part of it. Getting back and being involved in volleyball has been a big part of it. Um, getting back to work, some sense of normalcy, but a different, a different kind of normalcy because, now I will always be a cancer survivor, even though it's not something that I like I'll wear on my sleeve, but right. it's never, I will, I will never forget it. And I will always be reminded of it. And, you know, uh, a thing like testicular cancer is, is so common that, and so many people don't want to talk about it, but it's a very common thing that people need to know about that affects a large number of white males between the ages of 30, uh, 18 and 34. Yeah. And I was diagnosed at 
I believe <clears throat> 37. Okay. Which is way late. Um, you know, so that's, uh, another thing of adversity and working through it. And yeah. So physically I was, it was there mentally work through those things. And then, and then playing wise, it was a year later, you know, in, in Manhattan that, that we qualified. That's a cool yeah. sort of bookend moment to that, as you meant that kind of chapter yeah. of your life. Yeah. So now I'll play for fun on the weekends, just locally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the kids want to play once in a while, which is great. Um, but you know, and the broadcasting checks a big box for me in terms of being involved in the sport on the beach side. Yeah. I coached a little volleyball the last few years for the national volleyball association, which is a, a professional men's indoor league here in the U S and, and broadcasted for them as well. So that kind of scratch check that box of coaching high level professional volleyball players, um, which then kind of what we talked about earlier, bringing the broadcasting into my coaching with yeah. that stuff. Um, and then doing the AVP and the pro beach tour broadcasting keeps me involved with that. And, uh, it's a lot of fun, you know, working with you is a lot of fun. I mean, we've, yeah. we've actually co-commentated a couple of matches. A couple, yeah. Hasn't been much recently. I've been doing more indoors, but, yeah. um, you know, it's just a great platform. It is it's great, super fun. Yeah. It's fun for me. Cause I think everything helps the other. I think that commentating helps my playing. Yeah. Because then I can sort of hear myself as a commentator in my head. Like, well, why didn't you, why haven't you run a different play? Why yeah. have you done this? I'm like, okay, right. if I was commentating, why would I be yelling at myself right now? <laughs> All right, let's do that. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, Matt, yeah. thanks for coming on. Well, it's an honor to be here, Travis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be hanging. And uh, hopefully we'll be uh, commentating a couple more matches. Again let's next do year. it, man. I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. First podcast of the new year in well, the books. Thanks, man. Shoots. <laughs>